And this is View of the Valley's podcast with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? Doing well. Got some steaks thawing out at home. Put those on the grill tonight. Make some baked potatoes. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm a foodie anyway, as we've mentioned before. How are you doing today? Well, I was doing better until I just realized I wasn't invited over for the steak dinner. <laughs> well, social distancing. Social distancing. <laughs> But during this week's episode, TJ and myself break down our top three facilities for the two conferences. Dave Reynolds from the Peoria Journal Star joins the show to talk Bradley Hoops and the Missouri Valley Conference. Towards the end of the show, we do our Mount Rushmore on Indiana State and Jacksonville State. First things first, we'll do our top three facilities here, TJ, and we'll kind of go back and forth here. I'll let you go first for your uh, first one. I think... When we looked at this, just something to talk about, you know, since there's not much else to talk about right now. We just went with kind of, you're an 18-year-old kid. You get your visit to one of these schools. Which ones are really going to kind of be that awe-inspiring, kind of drop it, you know, drop your bag, say, Mom, this is where I'm going to go to school. I think later on we can visit schools that maybe have the best atmosphere. I don't think we take, I didn't take that into account this time. I just took kind of like, this is just state-of-the-art facility, and this is someplace I could see myself playing. As did I. So number three on my list, and probably this far down because it's not a campus facility, but I started at Evansville with the Ford Center. It's relatively new, opened in 2011, and has 11,000 seats. They also play uh, minor league hockey there. Obviously, the D2 National Championship is there as well. So... That's That was my number three. Who'd you have? So my number three, uh, it's SEMO, Southeast Missouri State, and they play at the Show Me Center. And me having been to you know a few of the schools in the, the Ohio Valley and seeing basically all of them on television, just by looks, I mean, the Show Me Center is, in my opinion, one of the top three in the conference. It it's got a nice floor, the arena itself. It's not small. It's one of the larger ones in the Ohio Valley. I believe it sits roughly over 7,000 for basketball games. Um, but they did just renovate it not too long ago. They redid all their seats in the first section. And then uh, they also, uh, I guess, brought in a new jumbotron at center court. And that really helped help the uh, cause for the Show Me Center. Probably the longest month I ever spent was the weekend I spent at the Show Me Center. <laughs> My first year coaching varsity basketball, we were there for a camp. It was an overnight camp. And I remember we had a long break between games. I remember just looking up there and having to memorize all of the schools of the OVC <laughs> because we were there for that long. I, I just, the guy that coached with me, Coach Augustine, will verify this. Like It, it, was, it took forever. I mean, we had a great time. But still, you just get to a point where you played about eight games in 36 hours like this. I need a change of scenery. Number two on mine, of all the facilities that we'll talk about, I've probably seen more games here. Maybe at uh, the Enterprise Center rivals it, but Illinois State University, Redbird Arena. I've been there several times watching the girls' basketball state tournament. Of course, uh, school where I teach now had back-to-back volleyball state tiles that they went up there so there are plenty of trips to uh bloomington normal seats ten thousand five hundred since they just renovated it i think it's just one of those when you drive past bloomington normal you see it i think that's kind of a cool thing to to be a part of it too it's right in the middle of campus great facility and great seats all over the place but in you know the renovations i've been there since they've done that but 
by all accounts, very positive. My second one is Belmont's Belmont Kirby Vent Center. And personally, I have not been there, uh, but I, I've seen it. I've lost track how many times on television because it seems like all the time Belmont was on ESPN2, ESPNU, CBS Sports Network, right, whatever right. the case may be. But when you look at that facility, it does not look like there is a bad seat in that house. It holds 5,000 fans, and with that facility being in Nashville, I mean, that that alone will attract you know people to go and see it. And when you're a recruit walking in there, it's – it's like all the fans, in a way, are going to be right on top of you. Now, it may not be like Duke where you have all the students going nuts, but they're all on top of you, and you know that Belmont's going to attract sellouts or have right, a lot of fans right. there because they are known to win. Right. My first one in the league is the JQH Arena at Missouri State, state-of-the-art facility. 11,000 seats. They have about 1,400 on the one end, what they call the end zone. I think that's their student seating. They, that place, I think, is difficult to sell out. It's just it's such a huge facility. They have 22 suites. You know, and what we don't realize is that so many of these facilities, they have to do something else the rest of the year. They can't just build these huge facilities and be like, all right, well, we'll host <laughs> you know, you know, 20 or 30 basketball team games between the men and the women, and we'll be done with it. Yep. So you know, a great place to host concerts, uh, WWE events, if you're into that kind of thing. You know, They have to be multifunctional. It can't just be, hey, this is the only thing we do here. Yeah. But uh, again, it's a, a campus facility as well. So that's why Missouri State, you, just, you walk around even the outside. Uh, you know, when you think of the concourse area, nice wide concourse area as a fan, that's, that's a big deal to me. So who's tops of your list? So as I'm sure a lot of people could probably guess, the CFSB Center is number one of mine for Murray State. And I actually went there this past year for a Simone Murray game. That's when we had... Right, that's when, that's when all this came to be. I yep. mean, the, the brainchild of Chris Smith came to <laughs> us visiting you wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yep, on the boring drive to Murray, Kentucky. Um, but yeah, go, being at the CFSB Center, I mean, it, it's probably the biggest arena in the conference. However, you know, it it has the ability to host concerts and br- basically anything in that area. I mean, Murray, Kentucky is like a hub for that whole area because there's not a lot around Murray, Kentucky, but... The one thing I didn't really like about the arena itself, we sat up in the bleachers, and, man, I was uncomfortable sitting in them bleachers up there. <laughs> it means you're getting old. Yeah. That's what that is. Uh, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I didn't really like the bleachers, but I will say there's not a bad seat there. I mean, and to see how many fans turn out for Murray State, but if you're a recruit coming in there, it, it's a it's a nice arena to see. They, they've done a nice job at Murray, Kentucky. Yeah, I've never been in their arena. I've been on campus one time adding to my college shirt collection. But my impression, and I hope this comes across the right way, is I was impressed by how clean the whole campus was. Every, the landscaping was done well. Everything, you could tell that they took a lot of pride in their campus down there. And you know, I think that would probably translate into sure. their marquee event of hosting men's basketball games as well. Exactly. But with that, we're going to bring in Dave Reynolds from the Peoria Journal Star as he has a lot of insight on Bradley Hoops. All right, we are joined by Dave Reynolds from the Peoria Journal Star. Dave, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. 
Uh, we really appreciate you joining the show. So we'll yeah, jump. No, no problem. So we'll jump right into it. Uh, obviously, the Bradley fans and some of the Missouri Valley fans know you, but for all of our listeners uh, to get to know you, how how'd you get interested in sports journalism? How'd you land at the Journal Star, and how long have you been there, et cetera? Well, um, I grew up in Iowa and was a real sports nut, and my dream was was to become a Major League Baseball player. And when I was about fifteen, I looked took a hard look at myself and realized that wasn't going to happen. And uh, so I still wanted a, a career close to sports. And so I'd always liked to write and, and always loved reading newspapers and, um, you know, thought that I would take that route to college. I went to Iowa state university and majored in journalism. And back then there were a lot more opportunities for, uh, for newspaper uh, reporters and I landed a job right out of college at the Ames Tribune right there in town and um, uh, didn't pay much but I got you know gained some invaluable <laughs> experience and um, loved it and, and moved on to one register for a couple of years and then on to the Journal Star and been at the Journal Star for the last 38 years so a long long career here in Peoria um, and uh, covered Bradley basketball for 30 years and uh, a lot of other uh, different kinds of sports, everything from Major League Baseball to, to you name it, I've covered it. And uh, these days, uh, with, without games going on, um, I've jumped in to, to help on the news side, and uh, which is kind of a nice change of pace, you know, covering some different things and meeting different people. So, uh, so still trying to stay fresh. So with you being at the Journal Star for a while, you've covered a lot of Bradley hoops. So what do you believe is the overall assessment of Bradley's 2019-2020 campaign, taking into account the injuries and just the overall low numbers they dealt with over the course of the season? Yeah, they really did have some issues with attrition. And their their best player, Elijah Childs, was out for 12 games with a broken finger. Um they went seven and five for for those games, so they kind of they treaded water and did did okay. Um, but uh, other guys, you know, Daryl Brown, their their star guard, he missed some games. Um, they had a an incoming freshman they were high on, rank mast. He missed the whole season because he had had ACL surgery. Um, so it uh, you know it was difficult, but uh, they they forged through. And you know when I look back on it. They finished uh, fifth in the league, but it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it allowed them to, um, in terms of how the seeding went for the Valley Tournament, um, you know, they they didn't have to play um, Northern Isle or Loyola because they, they lost in the first round. And uh, Bradley got matched up with Southern Illinois, which at that time of the year had kind of run out of gas and had a great season and, and, and didn't finish too well, but, uh, um, Bradley kind of caught them at the right time. And, and then once, uh, you and I and Southern or you and I and uh, Loyola were eliminated, it was a lot easier path to the championship. So, so Bradley, you know, not to take anything away from them, but, uh, um, you know, they, they got healthy at the right time and they, they were playing really well. Um, at the end of the season, and I think could have done some damage in the NCAA tournament if uh, if that had been played. 
Yeah, I think they have to really uh, wonder what might have been if they actually got to play in the NCAA tournament. They were playing really well there at the end of the year. And it was just such a crazy tournament with, you know, like you said, Loyola and Northern Iowa falling out on Friday, which uh, doesn't happen very often. No, not at all. That's the first time that's ever happened. Or one and two got eliminated on the first day. And, uh, um, you know, that kind of cleared the path for the Braves. And, and who would have imagined it would have been the number five seed and Bradley and the number six seed, Valparaiso, in the championship game? I, I don't think anyone would have taken that bet going into the tournament. <laughs> I know I wouldn't have. <laughs> so talking about Bradley looking forward, they haven't had much in terms of the transfer bug, uh, just have a couple kids leaving. But how do you think their roster shapes up? Obviously, they have to replace uh, Daryl Brown, who you mentioned, Nate Cannell, and Koch Bar, who's really one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, who's there to help Elijah Child? Well, they actually have a pretty decent nucleus coming back. Um, the, you know, you mentioned the three seniors uh and obviously they're going to miss them but uh they've got a uh a kid Jashawn henry who i'm sure you remember yeah uh, just a bulldog of a player and about six six and and uh a real tough nose kid um he seems to be getting better all the time if he can develop more of an outside shot you know he's going to be a real force for him um vile tabanainen a kid from finland <clears throat> he was on the all-freshman team last year um, he's, he's a really excellent outside shooter and I'm, I'm sure that he'll help replace Nate Cannell cause that was, he was their, their top and, and Daryl Brown, those two were their top three point shooters last year. So but they've got some other guards, um, who give them a lot of depth. Um, Donye Kingsby is a returning starty, starter. Um, and they've got a couple of transfers who will be eligible this year. Um, Terry Nolan Jr. And Kevin McAdoo. Terry Nolan comes from George Washington and McAdoo from Eastern Michigan. And, and Nolan in particular, I think is going to be a really solid Valley player. He's uh, he's very athletic. He's six, three defends. Well, uh, good outside shot goes to the basket. Very athletic. I think he's going to step right into that starting lineup and, and help them a lot. Um, they've got also a transfer. They're hoping will be eligible. Uh, Sean East he was a starting point guard at UMass last year as a freshman. Right. And a uh, real solid player. Um, they don't know yet. They put in a waiver for him to become immediately eligible. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. He, he's from Louisville originally, so I guess he's moving a little closer to home. So um, anyway, um, I think they, the NCAA may be a little more lenient on, on the transfers this year based on whatever how everything is playing out. Um, but the kid I mentioned before, Rink Mast, he's back healthy. He's kind of the X factor because they're going to need help up front with losing Koch. And this kid is 6'9", 240, uh, real aggressive around the basket, nice three-point shot. I think he's a very versatile player. But he's a freshman, so it won't be smooth sailing. Um, they've, and they've got uh, Ari Boya. I'm sure you remember him, big seven-footer. Uh -huh. um, he's been limited the last couple of years with injuries, but if he can stay healthy, um, you know, he's primed to, to take a, a good step forward. So, um, and then I haven't mentioned uh, the rest of the freshmen, um, the incoming freshman, Jason Kent, six-seven wing, uh, good outside shooter, and then a couple six-nine inside guys, Darius Hanna and Connor Link, and and uh, 
that's seven new guys I've mentioned, and that's that's more than half the roster. So, um, you know, there's going to be some adjustments there. But, uh, um, you know, I think that uh, um, Brian Worrell is going to have a lot of options for this, for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Coach Wardle does it after last year. He could kind of uh, go back and forth with his big seven-footers, especially when they were going up against uh, Drake. Uh, you know, he kind of had 10 fouls to use at some point. And you mentioned just Sean Henry. I think he's such a great blue-collar player. I Everyone can see his thunderous dunks, but somehow he always ended up in a spot where a loose ball ended up in his hands or a rebound. It just felt like he was the guy getting the dirty work done for the Braves a lot of time. Yeah, he he was he's really fun to watch, you know, because like you said, right place, right time. He just has a knack uh, for the ball. He just has, um, you know, a great work ethic. Wonderful kid. If you've ever interviewed him, he's just he's well spoken. He's from Canada, Saskatchewan. Not too many college basketball players from up there, but uh, um, he's one of the good ones for sure. So with you covering Bradley basketball for you know so many years, you've seen a lot of players come through the program. Which players would you put on the Mount Rushmore for Bradley basketball? <laughs> yeah, I heard you guys mention this on, on the other podcasts, and um, that's, that's really hard. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a couple no-brainers um, to start with, Chet Walker and Hersey Hawkins. I'm sure most college and pro basketball fans are familiar with those names. Chet Walker was an an All-American, uh, played at Bradley in the late 50s, early 60s. Averaged, back then, freshmen weren't, weren't eligible. He averaged 24 points and 12 rebounds in his three years. And then, obviously, went on to a great NBA career. He's the only Bradley player ever to ever to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. So that's quite an honor. Um, Percy Hawkins scored more than 3,000 points in his four years at Bradley. He's only one of 10 players in college basketball history to, to, to hit 3,000. Um, as a senior, he was the National Player of the Year, went on to become an Olympian and a solid NBA player. So that's two. <laughs> um, the other two, I'm probably going to go with Joe Allen, and Gene Squeaky Melchori and um, Joe Allen um, was just a you know hardworking uh, six six center who played against guys like Lou Alcindor and Wes Unseld and and held his own back in those days um, in the sixties. Averaged, I think around over 20 points and like 11 rebounds in his three years at Bradley. And, uh, he wore, he's got quite a story. He wore a, he had a, a knee injury that never really healed and wore a bulky leg brace on his legs for his, uh, for his career and had to drag that leg around, but still was very, very productive. He almost made the Olympic team in 68. Um, it went on to a great career in Italy um, Gene Melchiori, I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Um, he played at Bradley in the late 40s, uh, graduated in 51. He, he, he is probably the most controversial person in Bradley history in terms of basketball. He was, he was part of the point-shaving scandal that occurred in college basketball at that time. Several, several graves were indicted and 
he was one of them. Um, but uh, um, he was the number one draft choice in the NBA in 1951. Right. And because of that scandal, he never played professionally. Um, but he was only five foot eight and a half inches tall. And everybody that I've talked to, the old timers, he's always the first person they mention. Uh, I know Paul Henry was a great player back then. He was their leading scorer. But, but Melchiori was the, the catalyst for that team. Um, and uh, he was just unstoppable in, in a lot of ways but uh um i know the game was much different then but uh he was just an incredible talent um the, the other guy i want to mention <clears throat> is mitchell anderson he led the braves for four year all four years uh in scoring rebounding and uh he came at a time in the early late late 70s early 80s when the program really needed a boost and and he provided that he got that team turned around and they went on to have a great decade won the valley title three times in the 80s so um he went on to a great career in italy and was called the michael jordan of italy at that time so that's quite um, a compliment yeah those are (laughs) those are some of the guys i'd put uh on mount rushmore i i think if you're going to do it for valley you need to carve out uh space for five or six of them though yeah, that that helps you uh, smooth some egos too. If you can have six on that Mount Rushmore, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We were pretty close when we did ours. Uh, one of our first Mount Rushmores was Bradley going alphabetically, and the only difference we had is I uh, had Paul Unruh instead of Melchori. But you know, you had him fifth, so that makes me feel a lot better about my picks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul Unruh. Paul Unruh is still alive and living in Peoria. That's so, fantastic. Um, yeah, he still comes to the games. So looking ahead to next season, what do you think? Bradley needs to do to consider it a success. Can they finish fourth or fifth again and and win the tournament, or do they need to do something a little take the next step, so to speak? Um, I think it's going to be a better team. Um, there, uh, you know, I mentioned the all the guys that are coming back and all the new players who a lot of people don't know much about yet. But uh, um, I would imagine they'd be picked third in the uh, league behind you and I and Loyola. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, you guys know the tournament's kind of a crapshoot. If you're playing well at that time and you're, and you're healthy and, um, you have, and you have, and you have some good depth, obviously your chances are, are magnified. So, um, I think that, uh, Bradley certainly, could be in that position because I think they're going to have enough depth and, uh, you know, you never know how the season will play out health wise, but, uh, I think they will be a contender for sure. Um, you know, it's, it'd be, it's been a while since they've finished, you know, in that top, uh, couple during the regular season, been many years as a matter of fact, but, uh, um, I think that, uh, you know, the pieces are there. Uh, the one one thing I wonder about with that many new guys, and this is get, this is true for a lot of the league teams, uh, with what we're going through now, they, they didn't have a, a spring practice season. You know, the summer practice season is going to be you know curtailed quite a bit. So uh, it'll be if indeed everything goes according to plan as far as dates and, and the season getting started on time. Uh, they're not going to be as prepared, I don't think, 
as most years, but uh, everybody would be in that same boat. So that would be the one thing, trying to blend that many new guys uh, into the system, I think is it, it's going to happen, have to happen pretty quickly. So one thing we like to ask everybody we have on the show is whenever they're on the road covering their certain program or on the road for a, as a coach, player, whatever the case may be, when you're covering the Braves on the road during conference play, what is your favorite place to eat at and what are you choosing to eat? And also, when you've covered the Missouri Valley Tournament, where is your favorite place to eat in St. Louis? Ooh, <laughs> well, um, now that Wichita and, and Creighton are out of the league, those are my always my two favorite places to go for, for restaurants because you had a lot of variety and a lot of great places to eat. But uh, So it's, it's more limited now. Uh, the towns are smaller for the most part, but, uh, uh, and, and the other thing I guess that's different now is, uh, um, I'm driving everywhere to all the games, pretty much day of the game. So there's usually not a lot of time to get a, a, a good meal before the game. Sometimes I have to drive straight to the arena and eat at the concession stand. So <laughs> it's, it's not as gl- glamorous as, uh, some might make it out to be in terms of, uh, being a beat writer but uh i do have a few favorites unfortunately some have closed down over the years but uh um a new place i like uh, now that valparaiso is in the league is the industrial revolution uh it's right close to the arena uh good assortment of food and uh a really neat uh, uh decor and and theme to the place um another place i really like in des moines is jethro's barbecue uh, again, it's close to the arena, uh, and uh, just if you like barbecue, you, you got it. You got to try it. It's tremendous. Um, a place I just discovered this past year while covering the Salukis, I ended up staying over in Marion and ate at Benny's Italian Foods. Um, don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but uh, no, really no, enjoyed it. Had, yeah, had a good meal there, and then and then everybody's favorite in the valley I, on the way to Terre Haute is the beef house which is uh just across the border in indiana and covington indiana it's uh, uh you know great steaks and and uh um you know i i would highly recommend it for sure so um st louis um so many choices there um yeah i love going to the hill for the italian food oh yeah um yeah Unfortunately, with the Valley Tournament, there's not usually much much of a chance to, to get out of the arena once you're there. Right. You know, you're pretty much there, and and the Valley people are, are very gracious hosts, and they they uh, they do feed you, so you don't starve at least. But uh, um, but uh, uh, you know, there's uh, I don't know. I, I probably should just start stop there because if I start, I'll. Just, I'll <laughs> I'll go on and on and on. I love St. Louis restaurants. A lot of good barbecue. Pappy's Barbecue downtown, I really like. Um, so um, I'm I'm not too picky. I you know, I try to eat, eat as healthy as I can, but when you're a sports writer and you, some of your meals are at concession stands or, or in the car, <laughs> that's right. not always possible. <laughs> but uh, I too, do try to get uh, at least one one good healthy meal um, each day on the road. Well, I think you've given me enough options here that I can just tell my wife I'm taking her out to a nice meal 
And if we <laughs> if we happen, you know, in the Holman Center afterwards, that you know, just we, two birds with one stone for you, honey. <laughs> there you go. Well, we really appreciate your time and uh, you know everything that's been going on and that you carved out some time for us. So for our listeners, besides just the Peoria Journal Star, where can they find your content? Well, PJ, pjstar.com is my primary residence. That include that'll have um, all or almost all of my, my stories about Bradley and, and the Valley. Um, and if you're interested in the other sports or events that I cover, um, that's, that's mostly where I'm located these days i'll do occasional podcasts um around the league um i don't know if you guys are familiar with harry schroeder out of st yes, louis valleyhoopsinsider.com um he has me on occasionally and so um yeah it's just uh you know it's a digital world so you can you can pretty much find us uh um wherever but uh um pj star peoria journal star.com is this my primary residence now can the listeners find you on twitter yes yes i should mention that i am on twitter uh dave reynolds two is my handle and uh you know facebook is um all of our most of my stories are posted out on facebook as well so um yeah these days you gotta reach as many people as possible (laughs) because not as many people are buying the print product anymore that's for sure yeah, you're exactly right. Well, Dave, we appreciate you uh, joining the show today and uh, taking some time out of your day to spend some time talking Bradley in the Missouri Valley with us. And uh, we hope everything will work out for you down the road and Bradley will have a successful season to make it fun for you to uh, cover. Yeah, it's always more fun to cover a winning team. You know, it's uh, um, everybody's upbeat and more willing to talk to you and and uh it's uh you know it's just it makes it more enjoyable all around although you know you gotta you gotta tell both sides when you're a reporter and if right. the, if, the, yep. if things aren't going well then you have to report that too but uh um but yeah it's been a good run for me with bradley uh 30 years i've seen a lot and uh would have been this would have been their uh uh third NCAA, uh, NCAA, or I'm sorry, their fourth since I've covered the team, uh, which is not a lot for 30 years. But uh, um, you know, it's been it, it's it's a program with great tradition, and I think that uh, Brian Wardle's got him headed the right direction going forward. All right, Dave. Well, we appreciate you joining the show, and uh, best of luck for your uh, endeavors. Thanks, guys, and good. Thanks for having me, and, and good luck with your future podcasts. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. You bet. All right. Take care. You too. And just wanted to give a special thanks to Dave Reynolds for joining the show today as he brought a lot of knowledge and insight to uh, Bradley basketball as he has covered them for, you know, 30-plus years. Yeah, it was a great conversation, and uh, nothing else. I got a lot of great dinner ideas now. <laughs> But with that, we will move into our Mount Rushmore segment. TJ will have Indiana State, and I will have Jacksonville State. Uh, if you want to get things started off here, TJ. Yeah, I think I get started off with the easiest one of all the Mount Rushmores that we're going to have. You know, uh, Larry Bird is the first one. Um, some people don't know. He actually started out at University of Indiana, or IU, as Indiana uh, folks like to call it. 
left school, was actually went home, was at, back in French Lick, working on a garbage truck and decided to pick it up again and go to Indiana State, who at the time was still what we would call Division Two. Uh, obviously, we know about the big game between Michigan State and Indiana State 1979, he and Magic Johnson, two-time consensus All-American, MVC Hall of Famer, NBA Hall of Famer, NBA Top 50. Obviously, he's going to be on the MVC starting five, which they did in, in 2007. But what impressed me most about looking and finding stuff to support this argument, who you're not going to have an argument with, not only is he first in scoring, he's still first in rebounds, still first in steals. He's seventh in assists and seventh in block shots all time at the school in only 94 games. So he averaged a double-double in his three years there. But still, to, to be that high on all of those lists is pretty impressive. Uh, that's a pretty impressive stat to me. You know, TJ, I am blown away that you were able to find such a guy to put in your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I mean, it, it really probably took you a lot of time to prep this uh, right, right. part it of the did. show. You know, um, it's, it's all about the process. You know, <laughs> it's all about the process. So on my end, you know, I try and keep it to Division One players, but I did throw in a player from Jacksonville State's Division Two era in this uh, Mount Rushmore. But the first one, uh, Nick Murphy, played at Jacksonville State from 2007 to the 2011 season. Uh, first in points during the Division One era with two points shy of 1,500 for his career. Second in rebounds with 679 Division One era. Uh, seventh in assists with 228, and he is first in steals with 190. And now all this was during the Division One era. Uh, he did play parts of three seasons in the G League. So didn't see any time really at the NBA level, but nonetheless, he did find some playing time after his career as a Gamecock was over. Yeah, I think we can easily find those guys top of the scoring column, and usually it's a good way to get on this list. It's after that that you start digging, and yeah. they start, and you find yourself in that internet wormhole, as I call it. And like all of a sudden, you're looking up their stats from the Italian league, <laughs> and like, oh, he was an Italian all star, and he scored. Like, like, where am I? You know, that happens more often than I'd like to care or I care to mention. Well, hey, it's a good point because I was looking through them, and and one of the players, I had no idea how to pronounce the team name. So I just went with, ah, yeah, played overseas. <laughs> right, right. Yep. So second on my list is John S. Williams. He's still second in scoring, one of only three players in Indiana State history to break the 2,000-point uh, margin or echelon. Tenth in rebounds, tenth in block shots. MVC top 50 was a two-time All-American. Excuse me, I apologize. Two-time first-team All-Conference. He was there from 82 to 86, so not too long after the Larry Bird era. <clears throat> he's second obviously to Larry Bird he's fifth all time in scoring in the MVC behind the likes of Larry Bird Oscar Robertson Hersey Hawkins and DJ Ballantyne from Evansville who's their all time leading scorer it's a heck of a list yeah and I love this stat he tied Larry Bird with the most consecutive double figure games with 81 81 straight times he scored double figures and the other thing that comes to mind is like, Larry, what happened? You know, why wasn't it 94? Like, <laughs> like who stopped you? You know, but that's why I put him on my Mount Rushmore for that, that era, you know, the late seventies, early eighties, which is a, a big era for Indiana state. I mean, 81 straight games. I mean, that that's impressive. They, 
a lot of players struggle to even go 10 games scoring double digits in a row. Well, to do anything 81 straight well, yeah. times in, in athletics is, you know, to go 0 for 4 or, you oh. know, in baseball, yeah. 81 straight times. I could do it, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't have to get to that level. But still, I mean, that's impressive, to, 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 that kind of accomplishment. I think that you're going to get the focus of every other team at that time. <clears throat> so he's number two on my list. Who's up for you? So second on my list is Malcolm Drumright, one of the recent Gamecocks here. Uh, played at Jacksonville State from 2014 to 2018. Second in points during the Division I era with 1,429. Fourth in assists with over 400. And he was second in three-point field goals made with 187 during the Division I era. Now, he he's played the most minutes out of any Jacksonville State player in their career. Started the most games out of anybody. Started over 100 games. He was all OVC in 2017 and 2018. And he was very instrumental in helping Jacksonville State make their lone trip to the NCAA tournament just a couple of years back. He was OVC all-tournament team, which also helped him gain the MVP of the OVC tournament during 2017, which then led Jacksonville State to the NCAA tournament, where they would ultimately lose to Louisville in that first-round matchup. He also helped Jacksonville State collect 63 wins during his playing career and also played basketball overseas. So third on my list is Carl Nix. He was on that, that 79 team with Larry Bird. He was the second leading scorer. He's still 10th in scoring and steals with only 85 games. First team all in VC the year after their uh, run to the national championship game. MVC top 50 retired his numbers retired by indiana state and was known as mr intensity so he was at that second fiddle if you will to larry bird which okay. you get to that level you need that other guy you, you know larry bird at six nine was like we're gonna we're gonna pack it in around you larry and make somebody else be as well it was probably carl that was doing it for you there well i i guess i do want to backtrack here for just a second um going back to jacksonville state's lone ncaa tournament appearance I can I will always be able to tell you where I was at for that game. It was <laughs> it was the first year I ever went to Las Vegas and I was standing in the Venetian sports book watching that game and I got I mean it, it's standing room only even though I found a spot at this bar right in front of me but uh I'm over here going nuts for Jacksonville State and and this guy <laughs> over here's like what are you doing? I'm like what do you mean you you're you're rooting against Louisville. That's one of the best teams here. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I'm a big OVC guy. And so I'm trying to explain him why you know, I'm a Jacksonville State fan, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, I'm just over here just rooting for him to cover the spread. And these other guys are like, you're rooting for them. And I'm over here about to lose thousands of dollars because of an OVC school. I'm like, oh, you clearly haven't watched Ohio Valley basketball then. Right, right. Yeah, that's what... <clears throat> People that don't gamble don't understand your allegiance is not to a school. Like yeah. probably the best thing for you as a gambler is to not have any allegiance or loyalty to any school to get yourself blinded. That you're just like, hey, here's the spread. Here's what I'm looking at for the numbers, yep. and that's how I'm going to bet. Whoever I bet on, that's who I'm cheering for. You know, I, I don't care. <laughs> it could be your alma mater. Like I don't care. Like nope, don't hit that shot at the end. Like don't follow them anymore so they can cover or they don't cover. Yep. You know, all those types of things come in. It's it's really interesting how your perspective changes oh, yeah. when you've got money right on and it doesn't have to be a lot of money no so we're gonna go off track here 
we, me and a couple of my buddies and our wives went to watch Iowa at play Minnesota this year in football. And we had money on three different prop bets. And one was the over under, I think was three and a half. And the first two bets, I mean, at, at halftime, we thought we were going to cover all three, but then things just kind of fell apart. Things were going there. So Minnesota drives, they score to cut the lead to four. And we're just, me and my buddies, now we have $5 writing on this. <laughs> Five dollars each, I think, is what it was. So we're just like, oh man, we're gonna we're gonna miss out on this. We're, I mean, they're gonna hit this PAT, and we're gonna we're gonna miss by half a point. I promise you, the the kick hits the upright, and is a no good. There are eighty thousand people. Nobody's happier than the three of us because now we've broken even yeah. as opposed to losing five dollars. <laughs> just yep. like and people are like, what's wrong with you guys? Like this, they covered, they covered. <laughs> Well, that was, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that when we went to Vegas this past year, you know, me being the guy I am, which I try to go every year considering I was supposed to be in Vegas right now right. until the trip got canceled because yeah. of the coronavirus. But, uh, last year when we went, it was one of the first weeks of college football and it was Louisville and somebody else. And I can't remember who they were playing, but the three guys sitting to the right of me, we're the only four people at this bar, and they are going nuts. I mean, they are yelling throughout the sports book, and I'm just like, oh, my God, what's going on? And they had the complete opposite bets to me. They bet <laughs> they bet Louisville to cover and the over, and I'm over here, and I took the opposite on both of them. I took the under and then the other team to cover against them or vice versa, and I'm like, well, I guess I can't get too excited. They're over here blatantly telling me, yeah, we, we each combined put a couple grand down in this game. And I'm like, I'll be, I'll cheer in my head because that is not going to work out. Yeah. That gives, that gives me ulcers just thinking about putting thousands of dollars down. Oh, and, and it did not work out in their favor. Neither of them did. And I'm just Ooh. like, I'll take my tab. I left. Yeah. <laughs> and, but yeah, it's, it's definitely it gives you a thrill at times. But number three on my list, uh, Robert Lee Sanders. This is a guy from the Division II era at Jacksonville State. I uh, played at Jacksonville State from 1987 to 1990. All-time leader in points with nearly 2,000, finished with 1,983. Ninth all-time in assists with 459. He was the, had the most field goals made all-time with 697. He was All-Gulf South Conference team in 1990 and Player of the Year. He was on the All-American team in 1990 and helped Jacksonville State collect 88 wins during those years. 88 wins. Wow. That's uh, that's putting up some. Yeah, that's a lot. What is that, 22 per year? Neither one of us are math majors. No, so I think it's 20, over 20 22. a year. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why we do averages. So along those lines, my guy, my fourth guy is – to me, the best player they've had there in the last 18 years. Jake Odom played from 2010 to 2014. He's now an assistant on their staff. Second in assists, third in steals, sixth in scoring. This was a great get for Indiana State because he's a guy from Terre Haute, was there and just built up a lot of their program. Two-time first team, all-conference. In all four years that he was there, they played in the postseason. They went to the CIT once the NIT twice, and then I believe it was his freshman year they went to the NCAA tournament because they went 3-0 and to okay. win 
the tournament. I think that may have been my first tournament that I went to in 2011. So I've always identified, you know, the the later era of Indiana State sure. basketball with Jake Odom, and you know that he's coming back and he's contributing to the the program as well. I think that's just that that Terre Haute born and bred kind of mentality that he had there. Yeah, I mean, he was always one of the guys I would remember, you know, going to the Missouri Valley Tournament as an OVC fan, just because it's, you know, in our neck of the woods. He was always one of the guys that stuck out as being always hustling. It didn't matter what the case was. I mean, yep, yep definitely gave it his all. Uh, fourth guy on my list. Some people may, well, it could be biased in a way, but ultimately he did still have a great Jacksonville State career. And it's your list. And it is my list, so... <laughs> Uh, Darion Rackley played at Jacksonville State from 2011 to 2015. Uh, he's actually from our area. Went to school at CBC in St. Louis. Uh, third in points during the Division One era with nearly 1,350. First in most free throws made all time with 485. Ninth in assists with 205. He's also top five in steals during the Division One era with 140. And he did play two seasons overseas. But ultimately, he was on my list because St. Louis guy. And when I weighed a couple of the other options, he was from St. Louis. And that was a name I, I recognized from, you know, growing up in this area. Right, and, right. And, you know, reading through the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And he rounds out my uh, top four. All right. It's a good list. So, TJ, you got any final thoughts here to uh, wrap up the show? Uh, no, I just enjoyed the visit with uh, Dave today. I had uh, some good feedback from the guys on the Illinois State Message Board. Appreciate you guys for listening and weighing in, even if you thought I might have been completely wrong on three of my four picks. But <laughs> I wouldn't say you said I was completely wrong, but just you saw the argument and had some other opinions. But again, that's what makes a great debate. Absolutely. If it, if it was uh, objective, then we wouldn't have any discussion about it at all. So I appreciate all the feedback we're getting from those guys. And I invite everyone else. You know, We'd love to have some feedback from you guys as well. Uh, so going into next week's uh, episode, we're going to be discussing the NCAA tournament selection. What do we mean by that? More or less, do we agree with which programs get picked to be in the playing game or playing game since there's now four of them? And where where should the NCAA committee draw the line for like power five conferences and how many losses they accumulate throughout the season? And are they still deserving to get in? And basically everything about, you know, mid-major basketball in the NCAA tournament come next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, that'll wrap up Episode 6 here on View of the Valleys. Thanks to Dave Reynolds for joining the show this week. For TJ Hoover and Chris Smith, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we give you our thoughts on the NCAA tournament selection as well as doing our Mount Rushmore on Loyola and Moorhead State. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.